morning, everyone. As uh, Val was leaving to be with the children this morning, I said to her, uh, I'll be preaching for about three quarters of an hour, so have courage out there. Um, the look of fear across her face was uh, amazing. Um, so today we continue our short series, uh, and we're looking at the topic of having fresh courage. I must admit, when I saw my name against the rotor for preaching on courage, it did make me smile. Courage. Me. Are Paul and Astrid aware of my track record as far as courage is concerned? Back in 2003, uh, we went on a family holiday to uh, Florida. Uh, I was particularly looking forward to the boys meeting the Disney characters that they'd seen in all the films. Um, unfortunately, Simon, at the age of nine, was really excited about going on all the high-octane roller coasters and the rides. Fortunately for me, Sandy has no fear in this department and I was able to allow her to take one for the team, so to speak, and to go on these rides. Except for one. For some reason or another, I was the person who had to go on uh, something called the Tower of Terror. <laughs> Essentially, you're taken up in a lift to a very high level and then the lift opens and you're looking over the entire park with views extending miles and miles. Wonderful scenery, wonderful scenery, all out in front of you. And then suddenly the lift hurtles downwards at an alarming rate, leaving your stomach several floors higher. Now to make matters worse on this day, the queue for the ride was exceptionally long, which gave me well over 45 minutes to fear the absolute worst. I don't know about you, but when you're in a situation where you're fearful of something, you have that sort of And sometimes, if that's just about to happen, it's fine, because it's just, right, do it. This was 45 minutes, and me stood there, walking forward slowly in this queue, with Simon, nine-year-old next to me, who's just so excited to be get ready to go on this, and me, Fingernails, looking at my watch, looking at the queue, wondering if there was a way out. And do you know what? We got to about five or ten metres from the front of this queue. And by this time, I am really sort of just pacing feet up and down like this. And, and Simon, at the age of nine, turned to me and he said, Do you know, if you don't want to do it, Dad, we really don't have to. But don't worry, Dad, I'm with you. A nine-year-old telling me. Now, I had no option then. I had to do it, didn't I? <laughs> Life's thrown a number of challenges at us all, hasn't it? How many of us have been in certain circumstances when we have the opportunity for fight or flight and everything within us is wanting to run through the departure lounge, get on the flight and escape whatever situation awaits us? So how do we manage those situations in life? We've really been enjoying doing the uh, Alpha course for the last few weeks. And one of the things that we've often remarked about is that making a commitment to Christ doesn't remove us from those difficult situations for the rest of our lives. Naturally, there are going to be circumstances which will 
initially hit us like a truck. So how do we have courage? How do we go forward with confidence? How do we step out of the comfort zone with an assurance, with a purpose? The passage we're going to look at provides us with an example of a follower of God who finds themselves thrust into a position of leadership. This in itself can be really scary and challenging. In this case, they were assuming leadership following the death of a much-loved leader in Moses. Moses had led the people out of slavery in Egypt. He'd been God's man to lead the Israelites in the wilderness, and now he was gone. And before I read the reading for this morning, I want to go back into the previous book in the Old Testament, because this tells us a little bit about the daunting task that Joshua was going to have. At the very end of Deuteronomy, it says to us, and this is after the death of Moses, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to his whole land. No one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. What an act Joshua had to follow. How must he have felt? Let's read chapter 1 of Joshua. I think in the uh, church Bibles, I'm just looking, it's two, page 216. Joshua installed as leader. Is my mic working okay or does it dip out occasionally? Just... As I've often said, my mother always said, uh, I have the gift of not always needing a microphone. I don't know whether that was a compliment or not. So let's read chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. 
Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. I want to reflect particularly on some of those words in the first few verses of this chapter. And God says, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. And then he says, your territory will extend from the great river the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. I've picked those particular passages for a reason. We need to understand Joshua's position until very recently. The Israelites had been in the wilderness for many years. They were without land, without territory. And if Joshua had any particular skill from these years in the wilderness, it was basically as an outdoor education expert. He hadn't needed to make the decisions. This had been firmly in the hand of Moses. And I don't know about you, but it's easy to be a really good expert on leadership until we have it thrust upon us. When I was a teenager, I recall for a number of years being the harshest critic of my dad's parenting skills. And I was determined that I would be different. How on earth did he make such ridiculous parenting decisions? They were so foolish. I mean, I would never make that mistake if I was ever going to be a parent. I would be the textbook parent. Bring up my boys with the knowledge gained from how, in my opinion, my dad had got it wrong. You see, we're all experts until we have to experience that responsibility and make decisions for the betterment of those around us. So many times, as my boys were growing up, I'd say things, I'd instruct them on things, and I would just hear my dad saying exactly the same words to me. You know, I had the opportunity to discuss this with my dad many years later and chat to him, and, you know, looking back, we understand the wisdom of those who've uh, looked out for us and parented us and guided us and led us, the gentleness and the love of people that did that for us. Joshua would have found himself in this position and felt incredibly weak and inadequate for the role set before him. How many of us have found ourselves in that place in our lives when something happens and we just feel totally inadequate, totally unprepared for what was there in front of us? I recall Sandy and I around the age 23, 24, and it was only a few weeks before we were due to be married. We received a call one Saturday afternoon from a friend who we were especially close uh, friends with. Her family had been involved in a car accident, and her mother was in intensive care um, in an extremely bad way and not expected to survive. And... Uh, Sandy, without hesitation, said, we're on our way. We'll be over to the hospital with you in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. 
And at the age of 23, and to be honest, I was still a fairly immature and not worldly wise young man. I was ridiculously scared that I could be in no way of any meaningful use to my friends in their time of need. It's fair to say the journey to the hospital that day was one long prayer that somehow, in that situation where I was totally unprepared, that God would be our wisdom, our empathy and our care for them. Joshua is being charged with leading God's people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. This wasn't merely a case of claiming the land as their own. It came with very specific challenges. Firstly, they had to cross the River Jordan, which in itself was a challenge. Challenge for a handful of people, but a whole nation. Secondly, let us recall what God had said. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea to the west. Joshua had to claim this huge area of land. And there was one huge problem with this. The Canaanites were still living there. How easy was it going to be, this challenge, to claim land? So why, a few minutes ago, did I highlight those particular phrases in the first five verses about getting ready to cross the Jordan and where the territory would extend? Because I don't know about you, but when someone gives me a message or asks me to do something that makes me nervous, scares me, or simply seems like it's going to be too difficult, no matter what the message is surrounded by in terms of encouragement, I tend to become fixated on the scary challenge. And yet, if you're like me, we run the risk of letting our imaginations and our self-belief or confidence in ourselves to overwhelm the truth in the wider message. And in this passage, the words of God include encouragement, a reminder of faithful promises, and enough encouragement to embolden Joshua in God's plans. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land. I am about to give them. God is about to give them that. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses. Remember, this was a promise. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with, with Moses, so I will be with you. And those amazing words, I will never leave you, nor forsake. God was calling upon Joshua to remember the promises to Moses. God was with them. Whilst Joshua may well have felt in a weakened state and unready for leadership, let alone being able to claim the promised land. These are clearly all part of the human condition. We fear what we have not achieved. We overthink the challenge and somehow try to rationalise the direction that God's taking us in. But I'm a firm believer that God doesn't provide challenges that we can achieve under our own steam. 
What use is that to God? Giving us something to do that we can do under our own steam. God thrives in our lives when we have to draw on his strength as opposed to ours. When we have to draw nearer to him. Paul shares in 2 Corinthians, you know, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And let's not forget the hardships and challenges that Paul faced that's mentioned in uh, chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, I just mused to myself about someone going for a job interview to join Paul on his mission and being given the job description. Right, so uh, as part of this job description, you're going to need to be in prison quite a lot. Um, There may be many occasions where you'll be flogged. Um, You'll be exposed to death again and again. Um, You'll receive the the lash, your 40 lashes, uh, maybe five times or more, who knows. Be uh, beaten with rods, that will happen. You'll probably be uh, stoned as well. Um, Do you like travel? Good, because you'll probably get shipwrecked um, two or three times. Um, You might have to spend a night or day in the open sea, constantly on the move, no permanent dwelling. That doesn't come with the job, I'm afraid. You'll probably be in danger from bandits, rivers, uh, from your own countrymen, from the Gentiles. You'll be in danger in the country, in the city, and at sea, in danger from false brothers. Um, You'll have to labour, toil, go without sleep, no hunger and thirst. You'll be cold, you'll be naked, um, and any other tasks or responsibilities that may arise. As uh, anyone who's worked in HR knows, that's always at the end of the job description. I will boast in the things that show my weakness. God doesn't expect us to commit our lives to him, then exist under our own power. There's no sense in that at all, is there? To exist under our own deluded intellect, our own steam. It's in the challenges and the direction that he takes us that our weakest state of ability to achieve We rely wholeheartedly on him for our sustenance, our success, and our victory. I'd go so far as to say the passage isn't about somehow summoning up some courage within us to deal with large challenges. That wasn't the case here for Joshua. In the second half of the scripture, he is being reminded to rely on God's word. Don't let this book of law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written on it. The courage and the strength Joshua's being asked to have is based on the foundation of a reliance on God's spirit, God's promises and God's provision as set out in his word. I would go so far this morning as to say the fresh courage we require is to surrender to God's spirit. To rest in his love, wisdom and guidance. You know, guidance. You know, when we talk about surrender, we often think of it as a sign of weakness. I'd say this morning that surrender is one of the boldest forms of courage. Proverbs chapter 3 reminds us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It doesn't say commit your life to God and then trust him occasionally when you, when you can't do it yourself. It says, lean not on your own understanding. 
That is, don't think you can wriggle out of it by putting your twist on the direction that God has given you. It also says, in all your ways submit to him. And this is critical. True discipleship requires submitting to God to have access to all our lives. Not just certain paths. And then it says, he will make your paths straight. The courage comes in surrender to God's will. And in doing so, we can be buoyed by the promises found in his word. He's not going to leave us. I will be with you forever. So this is all well and good, Rob, you're saying, but this is an Old Testament story where we're talking about a leader of a nation being encouraged to secure the promised land. My day-to-day challenge or battle is not relevant to this Old Testament story. We all have situations, be it today, last week, or coming up, where we are challenged about fight or flight. If we're truly God's children, we must have renewed courage and strength to know God wants to come into a deeper relationship with us that might grow by our surrender to his will and for him to work in whatever situation we're facing. You know, I can say with painful experience in my Christian life that God has richly blessed me and invariably this has been through the painful and challenging of experiences. They haven't been easy. But what has been of such deep relevance in my life has been the dependence I've had to have on God to steer me through the storm. To sometimes just be held for reassurance by God. And more importantly, to come out the other side and look back in wonder how God not only worked in such a powerful way, but through my weakness and lack of ability had necessitated resting wholly upon his power and goodness. Adrian Plass wrote a wonderful poem about someone's first steps into Christianity and the expectations. And I find it a wonderful picture of the fear of surrender, but the knowledge of God not taking us somewhere where he has not been. So I'm going to read you this uh, poem. When I became Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. He said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, I I think. I think amen. Amen, I I think. I think I say amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yes, that sounds terrific, Lord. I, I say amen, I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying in my bed. Well, yes, he said, you could put up with the sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? And I said, amen, a bit. A bit, amen, amen, a bit. Uh, A bit, I say, amen. I'm not in surely. Can we just run through that again? You say I could put up with snores and scorn and spit. Well, yes, I've made my mind up, and I say, amen, a bit. Well, I sat back and I thought a while and tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord. I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can I just run through that again? You say I'll need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I got it straight. I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you. 
Not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, Amen, I, I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then, and think about my son. And tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Man enough to say the things that people hate to hear? To battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear? And listen, are you man enough to stand it at the end? The moment of betrayal by kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue? Are you man enough to cry? When nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown. Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Are you man enough to follow me? I ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, Oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen. I don't know what challenges we face this morning, where you are, what you've been through, what you're going through, and what you see ahead of you. But I've had a picture with me since the start of this week. And it's a picture of someone in water, in deep water. And it might be that you've never made a commitment and you feel like you're sinking, you've, you've had a very real realisation through this morning service or in the last few weeks that God is calling you and your hand is in the water and you're in deep water and you know you're sinking and you're struggling and your hand is out there. It may be that you've been a Christian for five years, five weeks, five months, five decades, but you feel this morning that you haven't been relying on God's will, that actually you find yourself in a position where those scary things, you've been trying to do it on your own. And your hand's out there. If that's you this morning, I'm going to say a prayer now. And... Uh, if that's you, and you believe that God's been speaking to you, then please feel free to say that prayer in your heart. Let's pray. Lord, when the storms come around us, we wonder how we can go on. But Lord, Help us to be reminded this morning that you are with us every step of the way. When we make a commitment to you, Lord, you want to live in our lives, not watch us from afar. It's through your power, your spirit, that we can go on, that we can face these challenges. And as we do, we draw closer to you, Lord, and your spirit blesses us. So this morning, Lord, I pray as we raise our hand to you, 
Perhaps if we're sinking or we're struggling, we raise our hand to you, Lord, and ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon us. That you may be our strength, that you may be our courage, that we will be emboldened, that you are with us. You don't, you're not an absent God. You're an ever-present God who loves us and cares for us and wants to be the journey, along the journey every step of the way. So we come in a state of submission to you and surrender that your spirit would lift us up and fill our lives that we may be everything for you, that people may see you in our lives and we will be able to share what you have done where we haven't had the energy or the belief that something can happen, yet you're, through your power and your glory and your spirit, you have achieved. We pray this in God's name. Amen.